This is our fifth and, I believe, final session on Ephesians 4, 30 to 32. And I want to just jump right away to verse 32 and think about forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So, Father, as we ponder being forgiving people who are enabled to forgive because of what you did, as we are united to Christ in forgiving us, give us this power, show us how to understand this, and indeed show us the fullest possible implications of this, at least as full as we can. Understand and use for your glory and for the good of your church and the unity of your people. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be kind to one another, tender hearted. That's the root, I argued, of, of the kindness and the root of the expression of kindness, namely, a forgiving heart towards other people. So let's focus for just a minute on as God in Christ forgave you. Remember back in chapter 1, verse 7, one of the first blessings Paul described for his uh, church, the Ephesian church, in him, that is, in Christ, we have redemption. Namely, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So there's forgiveness, referred to in chapter 4, verse 32. It comes through the blood of Jesus and from the grace, the riches of the grace of God. So our forgiveness is rooted ultimately in the eternal, free, ill-deserved, not deserved, indeed, quite the contrary, ill-deserved grace coming from God, causing him to put forward a redemption or a ransom. It's described like this in the language of Jesus. Jesus said, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That root word for ransom there is the same as this root word, redemption. Redemption is a a liberating, a delivering from some kind of bondage by means of ransom or payment. And here's the payment. Through the blood of Jesus, a ransom was paid for us and forgiveness was obtained. God can be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So this is how God delivered us from our sins, forgave us for all of them. Here's another description of it. I love this from Colossians 2.13. Paul said, You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt 
Just think how long the record of debt is if every thought, every attitude, every feeling, every word, every deed that you ever did that was less than perfect is listed. It was listed, and that list was put in the hands of Jesus, and what happened to it? It stood against us with its legal demands. This he he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He put a nail through the hand of Jesus and the hand of this record of debts so that it could be totally forgiven, even though it was standing against us. That's the way it happened. And it happened not for everybody. Everybody's sins aren't forgiven. We are in Christ, and we are united to Christ through faith. By grace you have been saved from your sins, receive forgiveness through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, Ephesians 2, 8. And so in Christ, in union with Christ, by faith, God's payment of the ransom, the redemption, the blood of Jesus cancels our sins and he lets them go, as it were, in the depths of the deepest sea, as far as the east is from the west, it says in Psalm 103. Here's the question. Can you forgive someone who doesn't repent of doing you any wrong? Can there be real forgiveness? Remember, Jesus said, in Luke 17, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him, and if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive him. So there is a picture of the fullest forgiveness and reconciliation through repentance and forgiveness. So what I'm asking is, does this forgiveness here happen only when that takes place? And I would answer, in its fullest sense, yes. This, this text is mainly about you doing for others what God did for you. And what God did for you is that when you had faith in him, you, you acknowledged your sin. You flew to Jesus for refuge. You cleave to him and trust him and hate your sin. And in Christ, then, you are forgiven. Now, therefore, if anybody, no matter what they have done to you, repents, this text says, you must forgive them. You must have the kind of heart that is disposed to forgive the worst offenses against you when there is repentance. Now, my last question is, is that all that's taught here? What about the situation in which the person sins against you and they don't repent, either because they don't believe they have sinned against you because they view things so differently, or they do, but they're just hard-hearted and they won't. What should be your attitude to them? Is this saying you don't need to forgive them? There are lots of reasons why that's not the case. The first one, 
is this word tender-hearted. A tender-hearted person is not calculating and saying, well, they, they won't repent, and so I'm not going to forgive them. That's not the way of the tender-hearted response. Neither is it what kindness does. And notice, let all bitterness, all wrath, all anger be put away from you. So no, if a person doesn't repent and acknowledge the wrong they've done to you, this text doesn't give you permission to be bitter, be wrathful, be angry, be hard-hearted, be unkind. It's just the opposite. This text is pointing in the other direction because not only did God in Christ forgive you, notice this in 1 Peter, what credit is it, 2.20, what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, in other words, there's no repentance here, you're suffering, somebody's doing you wrong, and you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Why? Because to this you've been called. You've been called to endure patiently mistreatment because Christ also suffered for you. So he didn't just suffer to forgive you. He suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Like what kind of steps are we to think about here? He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. What did he do? What did he do? He continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. In other words, Jesus, when he died for us, not only forgave us for our sins as we trust in him, he also modeled for us how to treat other people who offend us, hurt us, abuse us, and don't repent so that we can fully forgive and be reconciled. And what does it show when we endure that with patience? It shows that we are trusting ourselves to the one who judges justly. In other words, it magnifies the trustworthiness and justice of God if we say, God will settle my accounts. I do not have to. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. That's Romans 12, 18 and 19. Later, just a few verses later, in 1 Peter, it says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. This is what Jesus taught, right? Bless those who persecute you. Do good to those who hate you. Because to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. This calling here was referred to here in 1 Peter chapter 2, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. To this you have been called. So we're called to return good for evil. And when we do that, we show that we are trusting ourselves to him who judges justly and thus honoring God as the judge of the universe 
and humbling ourselves in confidence that God will settle accounts rightly. And one other thing that such behavior manifests. Matthew 5, 12, 11 and 12. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice in that day, not bitterness, not anger, not wrath, not clamor, not slander, not unkindness, not hard-heartedness. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. That's what we are banking on. So when we come back here and we realize that we're called to forgive as God forgave us in Christ, that covers one situation, namely where people repent, cry out for our forgiveness, and we always give it because God thus gave us forgiveness in Christ. Then the question rises, okay, if that kind of full-fledged forgiveness isn't possible because there's no repentance, now what do we do? We do not become bitter. We do not exert wrath. We do not show anger. We don't have clamor and slander. We don't become unkind. We don't become hard-hearted because, one, we trust the God who judges justly, and, two, we have a great, that's great, (laughs) reward in heaven. And thus we bear witness to the trustworthiness of God's justice and the all-satisfying nature of himself as our treasure.